You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. This is the second book of Psalms. If you've got the NIV, you'll see that it's headed there. Book 2, Psalms 42 to 72. And I want to look at verses 1 to 5. Uh, which begin with a very well-known phrase, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. This is a song of the sons of Korah. It is a song that describes longing for knowing God's presence, particularly in what we call the, the cultic worship, not in the sense we would use the word cult now, but the corporate worship of the people of God, the uh, praise, particularly in the Old Testament. And it's describing something that some of us know something about in our own experience, that we have experienced times in our lives, and especially when we come together, of a real sense of God's presence. So much so that it was never a chore to go to church. It was always a joy. We were excited. We delighted in being there. Maybe sometimes we came in quite weary, but we would leave refreshed. And yet, the psalmist is describing a situation where that's gone. And when he comes to church, it's dry, it's dull, it is wearisome. And I honestly think that that is the position that many, many Christians find themselves in. They can do something like, yesterday was brilliant. We had, what, 500 plus people in here. We had a a great conference um, all day. We went from, what, half past nine to half past five, and somebody actually said to me that was too short. So, that's that's a sign of something really good happening when you're sitting in a place, despite the long coffee breaks and lunch break, and you're there for several hours, and you're saying it's too short. But I think that where many, many Christians are today in our culture, in our society, in this city, and maybe amongst ourselves is this, that it's become quite wearisome. We're tired, and we've lost that anticipation and that longing and that joy. Now, the mistake whenever that happens is when people say, well, because I've lost that, I'm staying away. That is as bad a mistake as when someone says, I no longer feel love for my wife or I no longer feel love for my husband, so I'm out of here. It is that kind of error. Instead, we need to reflect upon what Scripture says, and as we come together and think about that, we need to think of this in this way. Firstly, you will notice that there is an intense longing. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for your God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And he uses a lovely image, an image that is not immediately available to us because we don't live in a dry land. We don't live in the desert. We like the idea of there being constant sunshine and no rain. But you don't like that if you live in the desert. And here, 
what the psalmist is doing is he's thinking of, or they are thinking of, a, uh, a dry land and a deer stuck in that land, wandered into a kind of savanna looking for water. In fact, through this psalm, the, the, the theme is not so much the deer, but the water. And he pictures this deer just desperately thirsty with the sun beating down, just longing, tongue hanging out, longing for water. And he says, that's what I long for. I long for God, for the living God. If that's your position, you're actually in a very, very good position. Because blessed are those who thirst and hunger after righteousness. They shall be satisfied. I think my biggest fear is to lose that appetite altogether. You know, we talk about people coming to church. We talk about people coming to worship. And sometimes it's very difficult for me not to come across like a nag. Uh, or not to come across like somebody who's very uh, legalistic and, you know, in- insisting on people coming to a meeting. But I think I would honestly say this, at least I hope this is honest, that my concern is this. My concern is when people aren't thirsty and they aren't hungry. It's not so much where they eat or even how they eat. It's whether they have an appetite at all. And that bothers me a lot. It bothers me also whether people are being fed, whether we are uh, receiving the Word of God, and whether we are experiencing the presence of God. And I am most concerned when people show no indication of that. There's no thirst. There is no hunger. Now, that can be true of people who come to a church service it can be true of people who stay away. You can find there, there are people who are not at a service, but they are desperately longing for God. It may be reasons of illness and, or work or family or whatever. And you may find people who've come to church just out of a sense of duty, and there's no thirst, and there's no hunger, no appetite, and therefore whatever food is served up, they're not really interested in. But here, There is something, an experience that some of us have had, and it's it's actually a good experience, a longing, a thirsting, a hungering after God. It's not always the most pleasant of experiences, because the second thing is he asks a number of questions. The first question in verse 2, when can I go and meet with God? And here the image of water is very different because in verse 3 he says, my tears have been my food day and night. There are tears of bitterness. He feels deserted by God, especially when in verse 3 we read, while men say to me all day long, where is your God's? When can I meet with God? Where can I meet with God? Why is my soul downcast? Verse 5, why so disturbed within me. And in that, he answers his own question in verse 4. At least he answers it in terms of what happened, because he remembers, 
how he used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. He remembers the days. He remembers the spiritual high points. He remembers the days of the packed temple, the the large congregation, the joyous worship, the dynamic preaching, the sense of God's presence, the overwhelming desire for God and that desire being satisfied. He remembers all of that, the shouts of joy and thanksgiving. And it doesn't help him because he's saying, where can I go and meet with God? Well, I used to go to this church that was just absolutely packed. I used to go up with the people. I used to, to lead. I used to be up there at the front. I used to be leading the praise. I was leading the assembly. I can't go there anymore because when I go, it's not the same experience for me. And his memory of the things that are past actually make him thirstier and hungrier. I think the best commentary on this is William Cowper's hymn, where he says, where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and His Word? In remembering what happened in the past, it deepens his despair because he's lost it. When you've experienced and tasted something and it goes away, you really, really miss it. You don't miss it if you've never, ever experienced it. And I do think that there are some of us who are here who are Christians, who if we look at ourselves just now, we say, you know, there was a time when I was just burning with love for God. When I was like the two on the road to Emmaus, when the Word of God was opened and my heart was warmed, there was a time in praise that you couldn't have stopped me from crying out with, joys of, with joy and thanksgiving. I had to sit on my hands to stop them being raised. And now I find myself in a situation where I'm dragging through things. I'm finding it very, very difficult. There was a time when my, my heart was so filled with the love of God that it almost burst and now I can scarcely think about Him. And that, for some, drives some people into a deep despair, and for others, it's reflected in what David says here, a kind of despair that's not completely empty. Look at end of verse 5. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. It's just a, a longing and a desire for God. My fear for the church in Scotland, my fear for ourselves, would be that, forgive the cliche, but we've lost the loving feeling, and we have no thirst, and we have no appetite, and we have no hunger. And I I don't know if I can think of anything worse than that. I don't think pain and sorrow and suffering are as bad for us as just not having an appetite for God. And I think my reason for saying that is this. Everything in Scripture teaches us that if we have an appetite for God, that appetite will be satisfied. If we have a thirst for God, that thirst will be quenched. 
But if we've grown cold, if we have no desire, then we can remain in that place, in the desert, for a long time. The deer in the desert that's thirsty knows it's thirsty and looks for water. The Christian in the desert who's thirsty and knows that they are thirsty longs for God. But the person who is in the desert, the Christian who is in the desert, and has just kind of given up, the worst situation to be in is not even to know that you are thirsty or hungry. And maybe when we pray for revival and renewal, the first thing that will happen is we start feeling thirsty. We start feeling hungry. And maybe that's a sign, a real sign of God's blessing. Wonderful expression. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. What the psalmist does now is he moves on from remembering his past experiences to remembering God. He remembers God in the midst of trouble. He climbs Mount Hermon, about 9,200 feet high. He goes to Mount Miser. We don't know where that is or, or what it is. It means relatively small, so it may be he's saying he's gone to the high mountains and the low mountains. He's looked over the land where he had had great experiences of God, and he's remembering God. And what he remembers is this that within himself there is a depth that it calls out to the depth in other people and the depth in God. And it, it seems overwhelming to him. It's easy to be a Christian when you're shallow. It's easy to come and worship when you're shallow. It's easy to go on in life when you're shallow until God breaks through that shallowness. I think being called a shallow person is one of the worst insults you can ever say to somebody. But I think we live in a shallow culture. I think we live in a superficial culture. And in general, I think the church reflects that culture. There's a shallowness and a superficiality, even to the extent where people say, oh, I love being taught the Bible, and I love the worship, and I love these things. But when God begins to go deep in our lives, we don't like it. And think about it in this way. What upsets us? What causes us to be angry or bitter or to weep or to be frustrated or annoyed? In general, they are trivial things because we're not prepared to go really deep to see what's really, really causing that. So, I'll just speak for myself. I can't speak for anyone else. I can find myself getting really annoyed about relatively trivial things. You know, tiny things. Come into church and say, hey, who's on the door? There's no one on the door. This is ridiculous. And it is ridiculous, and I'll give you a round later. But it's, it's a tiny thing in reality. I can be upset about... Um, personal things that, that people might do or say to me, but are relatively trivial and shallow. And you think, well, what's going on? Where, where are the things that really 
grip me? Where are the things that really go deep? And most of us are scared to go deep because it hurts, because it's like a surgeon going in with a scalpel. We don't want that to happen. I'll tell you what we want. We don't want the surgery. We want the plaster. We want something that just covers over. We don't want anything particularly that goes in to the depths of our own heart because we don't like the depths of our own heart because it's too painful and too ugly. But here, the psalmist has no choice because all your waves and breakers swept over me. We're back again with the theme of water. In the first part of the psalm, he's longed for a refreshing drink. He's been really thirsty. He's longed for that. But now he gets water, and he gets loads of water, and they're the water of chaos. Sometimes we cry to God, Lord, work in my life. Lord, give me that spiritual refreshment. And it's as though God sends a flood, and we're drowning. We're drowning in chaos. It's a very dangerous thing. You ever prayed and you really, really mean it? If you've ever prayed for God to revive and to renew a church, for God to refresh and so on, it's a very, very, very dangerous prayer because what if God answers it? It's not the way that we would think. It's not us being able to, you know, sip the, this, this drink and, and just relax and carry on with our lives. It is God pouring Himself out upon us and at times, it appears incredibly chaotic. A church, it's good to have order, decency and order in a church, but a church that is always just nicely, neatly ordered in absolutely everything, I sometimes wonder how much that is a church where the Holy Spirit is at work. You see, it's interesting in that verse 7, the waves and breakers are not the waves and breakers of the devil, and they're not the waves and breakers of fortune, they're not the waves and breakers of culture, and they're not the waves and breakers of my own sin. They are your waves and breakers. They are God's waves and breakers. And God is answering His prayer. He's answering His prayer by allowing these things to come over his life. And what do these waves and breakers do? They strip away everything that is not rock solid. They strip away everything that is not of God. Praise and prayer continue, verse 8. By day the Lord directs his love, and night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. It's different from the first part of the psalm. Here he is crying out to God. Here he is uh, longing for God. He's recognizing that these are God's breakers. He's recognizing that these are God's waves. He's recognizing that the depth within him is calling to God, that God is calling to him. Deep calls to deep. And then the questions come again, and they're questions which are even deeper and more profound. They are questions initially. Those questions are coming from the heart. But now they go even deeper still. God says, I've not finished. There's more to come. 
let's go a bit deeper. Let's go a bit deeper. And so he says, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go, I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Why are my bones in physical, mortal agony? Whilst my foes taunt me, saying, where's your God? Thought you believed in God. Thought you believed in Jesus. Thought God was good. And you're ripping apart inside, and you're falling apart outside, and your relationships are so strained, and people who are supposed to help you are not helping you. Where's your God? Isn't it interesting that in verse 9, he says, I say to God, my rock. These, these waves pour over. God is the rock. Incredible statement of faith. I say to God, my rock. And yet, why have you forgotten me? Faith says my rock. Experience says I am forgotten. And you always bring those two things together. Your faith is saying, God, you are my rock. Your experience is saying, but God has forgotten me. You have forgotten me. And that's a paradox. It is a, a, um, a conflict within the Christian life. And so in verse 11, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Well, obvious, the answer comes from the previous parts because of everything that's happening. But he says, I have to look away from my own circumstances, and I have to lift my eyes to the God who lifts up the downcast face. I have to believe that there's a God who satisfies the hungry and a God who quenches the thirst of the thirsty. There are three types of water mentioned in this psalm. One, yearning for the presence of God, the drink, if you like, the refreshing drink. The other, the tears of desolation and forsakenness. And the third, the overwhelming waters of chaos. As we come to the Lord's table, let's reflect on this. The Psalms are great because they do reflect the emotional life of Jesus Christ. And I think Jesus went through all of these. I think He longed and thirsted for fellowship with His Father. Why else did He go up into a mountain and pray all night? I climbed Mount Hermon, longing for you. Why else did He separate Himself from His disciples and from the crowds to be with His Father? He thirsted and hungered. You know, it's a, a really deep teaching about God being Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because how can God be love in Himself, in His essence, in who He is? How can He be love if at one point there was nothing to love? But because God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are able to be love because there's a love that they have one with another. Now, when Jesus came to earth, one of the things that occurred, and I think particularly on the cross, and we particularly remember this on the cross, 
is that that love and that perfect fellowship between Father, Son, and Spirit is in some sense disrupted. And so, Christ cries out, why have you forgotten me? Why have you forsaken me? And those tears of desolation are the tears of Jesus Christ, the Christ who wept over Jerusalem, the Christ who went to the cross and who died surprisingly quickly on the cross. It could take days to die on a cross. And they would come, and as an act of mercy, they would break your legs so that you would die quicker. And they came to break Jesus' legs, and he was dead already. And when they stuck the spear inside him, in his heart, in a sense, to confirm that, blood came, but water came. And we're told that if your heart ruptures, then there's a building up of fluid, of water. And many people think that that is is what happened. And Jesus on the cross, the most intense agony He had was the emotional agony, the spiritual agony as He bore our sins, and His heart was broken for us. The stress and the strain is beyond any stress and strain that we could imagine. So, I think for Jesus, the tears of desolation are there as well. And then the overwhelming waters of chaos. We do like to think of Jesus as going along, and He goes from step A to step B to step C to step D, and step E, the cross, and He knows what's happening, and everything's fine. But I am certain that in uh, times in Christ's life, though He knew what He was doing and He knew where He was going, it must have appeared incredibly chaotic with a crowd of thousands baying for His blood, with disciples deserting Him and letting Him down, with the darkness coming over the land. He was in the midst of the chaos. And that's why this psalm is particularly poignant for us, because Jesus thirsted and hungered after God. Jesus took the mockery. Where's your God? Come down from that cross if you want. Jesus knew the Lord directing His love, knew that He could pray, but still cried out, why have you forgotten me? Why must I be oppressed by the enemy? Why must my bones suffer mortal agony? And as Rabbi Duncan says, there is no pit so deep that Christ did not go deeper still. And I love all of that, and it's so applicable to us who are believers, because there's a sense in which he's, he's, He is experienced and tempted in every way just as we are, and perhaps far, far more, certainly far, far more than we have been or ever will be. And so, when we experience these things, as we will do, As we thirst and hunger for righteousness, thirst and hunger for God, remember God, remember past experiences, are are distressed by the things that seem to be overwhelming us, concerned about the chaos around us and perhaps within us, as we, within the depth of our own souls, call out 
the depth of Christ answers us and says, I've been there. I know. I'm with you. I'll walk you through it. Take my hand. It's dark. I'm the light. Hold on to me. I'm holding on to you. When you take communion, please remember that. Ask the Lord to help you through these experiences. Ask Him, most of all, not to leave you desolate, not to leave you dry, not to leave you spiritually dead, but ask the Lord to work within. He's the divine surgeon, the divine physician. He doesn't break the bruised reed. He will operate skillfully and wonderfully. And as He is doing that, in all your pain and in all your sorrow and in all your joys, just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.